Hi, I'm Dan Primack, and welcome to Axios Recap, presented by Bridge Bank. Be safe, venture wisely. Today's Friday, September 4th. The unemployment rate is down, coronavirus death projections are up, and we're focused on feeding America's hungry children. The big news out of Washington, D.C. today is that there is no news, again, on a new federal stimulus plan. Vice President Pence claims that the White House and Congress do have a deal to at least dodge a government shutdown at month's end, but it won't include anything pandemic-related, like direct checks to taxpayers, expanded unemployment benefits, small business loans, or school aid. And here's one more thing that might be included in the stimulus were there to be a stimulus. The FEED Act, a bipartisan bill that would help restaurants feed America's hungry during the pandemic, including school kids who still haven't been allowed to return to school. The FEED Act was first introduced in May, and its most vocal advocate wasn't a politician, but a celebrity chef, Jose Andres, whose legal battles with President Trump are far less important than the work he's done with a nonprofit called World Central Kitchen, which partners with restaurants to get meals to those in need. Historically, a lot of World Central Kitchen's work has been tied to natural disasters, but in 2020, it's helped effectively purchase more than 7 million restaurant meals for America's Hungry, not only filling bellies, but also helping restaurant workers remain employed. Andres and World Central Kitchen argue that the FEED Act would be like their program on steroids, as it would require the federal government to pay for state and local governments to work with restaurants and nonprofits to prep meals. But again, like the rest of the stimulus, the FEED Act has remained little more than words on paper. The bottom line? Congress remains on recess. Too many kids remain home and hungry. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper with Nate Mook, CEO of World Central Kitchen. But first, this. We're joined now by Nate Mook, CEO of World Central Kitchen. So Nate, let's start big picture here. Kind of food scarcity and food security in the U.S. six months into the pandemic. Kind of what's the state of play? I think we are still in the midst of a huge crisis in this country. Some job numbers have come out for August, and things are certainly looking a little bit better than they were before. But the reality is we have close to 30 million people out of work still, and families are still struggling to put food on the table. A lot of families have lost their unemployment checks with the lack of any additional relief legislation. And this country is facing a pretty tough time. We're seeing longer lines on the ground at our food distributions. We're seeing more and more questions and concerns about how families are going to feed their children come this fall with a lot of uncertainty around schools as well. So we're not in a good place right now. I mean, we're six months in, but to be honest, we're not much better than we were back in April when it comes to making sure that food is on the table. You mentioned schools. What have you guys done or what did you guys do in the spring and how much of that is continuing right now into the fall vis-a-vis kids and school lunches? I think a lot of folks don't necessarily realize that our school system is not just about educating our students. Schools are places that also feed our students and play a major role for families. And I know a lot of parents have been struggling with having to have their kids at home And that's really been added to with needing to also figure out how you're going to provide food for those students. And so many students in this country are on free and reduced lunch programs as well. So that's an added burden. So what we saw in the spring was, you know, a huge spike in need as schools were shut down. It took a little while for school districts to kind of get things situated. And I think towards the end of the spring and into the summer, 
school districts were doing an incredible job. I mean, they were getting out hundreds of thousands of meals a day. Nate, can I ask about that? I'm wondering, I'm thinking now, kind of fast forward to the fall, and lots of school districts are still physically closed. So a lot of those programs where these schools essentially became food banks can continue. But I'm thinking a lot of schools have opened as so-called hybrid models. So half the kids aren't going there. So in theory, can't get the normal school lunch, but the school is being used and operating. So it can't really operate like a food bank. Do you have a sense on how that's playing out right now? I think schools are going to continue to run into struggles. They don't have the funding to provide all the meals and students who are not attending and those that are at home have to find ways to get to the school to get those meals. It's also very limiting. The type of food that's being provided is a real challenge. It is not what you think about with, you know, a hot, fresh meal that they would normally get in a cafeteria, right? A lot of these sort of food, they're like food bags of food that, you know, meets the USDA standards, but isn't necessarily what we would typically think is a meal. And so that's one of the roles that we've been playing at World Central Kitchen is trying to augment that, provide additional meals to families on top of what the schools can provide to give the family something a little bit more. That program is kind of a pilot program, at least Jose Andres referred to as kind of a pilot program. What's the status of that and how large is it right now and kind of how's it going? Yeah, so we've taken a number of different approaches, but one of the main things we've been doing is what we call our Restaurants for the People program. So we've been putting restaurants back to work and paying them to produce meals, then can go out into the community, to senior centers, to school districts, We've been doing this pretty heavily in Oakland, where we partnered with the Oakland Unified School District, for example. So on top of their existing school food distributions, we've had restaurant meals that get delivered to the sites, and we hand out those restaurant meals. And since our meals do not need to be reimbursed by the USDA, they can go to families, grandparents, parents. They don't only have to go to the students that are eligible. And it's been a huge success. And we're going to continue the program as long as we can. I think the biggest challenge that we face overall is, you know, we're six months into this now. And our organization, a lot of nonprofits rely on donations. We rely on the goodness of people supporting us. And at some point, that runs out. Everybody is sort of at wit's end with regards to this pandemic, and folks are struggling across the board. And so we've had to really pull back our feeding efforts because we've been entirely reliant on the goodness of people and philanthropy to keep it going. This is kind of off topic, but I'm curious, is part of the fundraising difficulties, not just for you, but for other nonprofits, a lot of you guys have kind of these big annual events, fundraising events in person, almost black tie sorts of things that clearly you can't do right now. Yeah, it's a big problem for a lot of nonprofits. Now, World Central Kitchen, we're a little bit different. Jose is a little bit different. We don't necessarily do those big events. We really try to focus on the work itself and get people engaged. But it's a challenge because everybody right now is concerned about what's coming next. A lot of businesses are way down and our economy is hit hard. And so, you know, the reality is that relying on philanthropy is simply not sustainable for the long-term solution. It's good for the short term. You can move quickly. You have that agility that the federal government can't do. But at a certain point, the only folks that are going to be able to step in and really provide a meaningful long-term solution here is going to be the federal government. So let's talk about the federal government and the FEED Act specifically. This thing was introduced back in May, bipartisan, introduced in May. We are now in September. What's happening with it as a part of that? Is it your belief that if this is going to get passed, it's going to get done as part of a broader stimulus package at some point? Or is this a standalone sort of bill? So that's the goal is that it gets passed as part of a broader stimulus package. The language in the FEED Act, and the FEED Act is sort of designed it's very simple. What it's meant to do is to provide clarity and authorization for FEMA, our emergency management agency, to be able to use their disaster relief funds, which they have a lot of, or they did before 
President Trump started using them for unemployment checks. But FEMA was given $45 billion in May for the pandemic. So the idea was we'll tap into existing funding, but enable it to be used for purposes of feeding and, and provide some additional flexibility around that, remove some of the barriers that limited food getting out there that would be supported by FEMA. The language was actually introduced into the, was included into the HEROES Act, which passed the House and then went to the Senate. Obviously, there has been a stalemate, and what came out of the Senate was very different, and there's a lot of negotiation going on. So the FEED Act does still exist as a standalone bill in both the House, both the Senate. We've got support from Democrats and Republicans. So we are hopeful to get some movement on it. I do think that if possible, if we can push it forward as part of a broader relief legislation, that would be fantastic because that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make things easier for families to get food during this time and free up resources that are already there, but are just sitting there unused because of a lack of clarity of how this funding can actually get out the door and directly reach families in need. The stalemate you referenced has been going on for over a month. The HEROES Act was passed, obviously, back in May. Give me one reason for optimism that the Food Act is actually going to become law, say, by year end. I remain optimistic because we do have support on all sides and food is not a partisan issue. And I do think that there is recognition that we are in a crisis that there needs to be some sort of response to. We all don't know how the fall is going to play out, but I think at the moment, based on what we've heard, this is a priority. We've been talking to the Speaker's office. We've been talking to a lot of Senate offices and House offices, and folks know that this is right now urgent. So that gives me a sense of hope. And because we're not asking for any additional funding, we're not trying to pull in another $100 billion that needs to get allocated. What we're trying to do is use existing resources smarter. So based on that, I'm a little hopeful, always a little skeptical based on how things are going right now. But we'll see how the next month goes through. And and we're going to keep pushing. We're going to keep the phone calls up. We're going to keep the pressure up. This is an important issue. And hunger right now is front and center in our country like we've never seen it before. Nate Mook, CEO of World Central Kitchen, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Welcome back. What we're watching today is the labor market, just ahead of Labor Day, with the government reporting that the country last month added 1.4 million jobs and that the unemployment rate fell from 10.2% in July to 8.4% in August. The bottom line, there is an economic recovery, but it's a sluggish one. Today, we're also watching a preview of an upcoming Axios on HBO interview with Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, in which he worries about the likelihood that we won't know who won the election on election night, or maybe even days or weeks later. You might recall that this was the subject of yesterday's Axios Recap podcast, and Zuckerberg believes the consequences of this delay could be far more severe than just nasty social media messages. A heightened risk of, um, of civil unrest in, in the period you know, between, uh, between voting and, and a result being called or, or, or after that. And I, I just think that we need to be doing everything that we can to uh, reduce the chances of violence or civil unrest in the, in the wake of this election. The full interview airs Tuesday night on HBO. And finally, tomorrow we'll be watching the Kentucky Derby. It's the 146th edition but it's the first one ever not to be held in May, let alone the first in which the stands will be empty. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Tim Shovers and Naomi Shaven, have a great national macadamia nut day. And we'll be back Tuesday with another Axios Recap.